Overthinking It podcast, episode 34. It's Oscar night, or the night after Oscar night. We actually forewent the podcast, delayed it a day, because we're wimps and we're tuckered out by Oscars. But here's your Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Let's jump right into it with our panel. Uh, Favorite acceptance speech panel, starting with Matthew Belinke. Uh, I'm going to take the easy one and go with the guy from Man on Wire, who didn't even technically win the award. Uh, he was the subject of the documentary, but he got called up there, and he balanced the award on his chin and made the coin disappear. In the same, in about 30 seconds, he did two different uh, vaudeville-type acts, which has got to be some sort of record. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, no, uh, it's a record on the Oscar stage, certainly. Yeah, perhaps well, not, no, no, not for vaudeville. No, certainly not for vaudeville. I mean, like, you know, I don't know the <laughs> record vaudeville. for number of vaudeville acts at 30 seconds for vaudeville. It's probably it's, like three. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's more. Sure, I, I'm going to go to speedvaudeville.com and check it out. Oh, God. Now you have to, have to register that domain in case someone goes there and finds porn and sues us. <laughs> or, or their children find porn. Uh, moving on, Mr. Jordan Stokes. I watched the Oscars at your house last night. Thank you for hosting. Oh, you're quite welcome. Uh, favorite speech? You know, I liked the uh, the guy who won for Best Animated Short who went up there and uh, said, Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. I know it's not a good speech by classical standards. It's not going to go up there in, like, you know, the, the orations of Cicero, but it, it tickled me. Yeah, well, no, it tickled all of us. That was, I, I think we all kind of didn't quite know what we heard when we, yeah, right? when we heard that. And it was like, wait, did he really just say that? That's great. It's a, it's. A, uh, I like to think. Yeah, well, here's my question: Is that a, obviously a direct quotation from Sticks, or is Sticks was that like a like a phrase before Sticks came along? No, there's a very famous uh, film actually. It's from the 30s called Mr. Roboto from Japan, uh, and it's about the invasion of Manchuria about a robot who uh, is able to rescue brave Japanese soldiers from the evil Manchurians during the invasion and they all turn behind enemy lines. Exactly. They fall behind enemy lines. And then there's a, a plane with a mind of its own. It's a biplane and, uh, Jamie Foxx is flying it. And, uh, for a second there, you thought it was real. Uh, Oscar winner, Jamie Foxx. This is is just plausible. Uh, (laughs) uh, Mr. Roboto, the title, the honorific is in, is entirely fictional and sticks based. I'm going to say mine. I'm actually going to cheat on this question. Mine uh, is um, mine was I thought what Shirley MacLaine said to Anne Hathaway was really uh, was really sort of sweet and heartfelt and like nice encouragement. And it's kind of like, hey, you're nominated here. Everyone knows you're not going to win, but we think you're really talented. And I think Anne Hathaway is really talented. And she also, we found out, can sing and dance. Which uh, you would know if uh, you were like me, a regular watcher of Saturday Night Live. But why would you be? Because it's a terrible or if show. Or you've seen the, the Princess Diaries, right? Doesn't she do something? Or is that just Julie Andrews does the singing? I think she, no. I think just Julie Andrews does the singing. I mean, she may dance oh. or something with the prince at the end. I don't know. I mean, I'm not really, you know, though I am a uh, though I am a devotee of the teen sex comedy genre. I twittered about it actually. I'm I'm trying to research a post about teen sex comedies and their their evolution because I saw I'm fairly, 
fairly certain that The Princess Diaries is a teen lack of sex comedy. Right. I saw uh, I saw Fired Up through through an hilarious series of misadventures. Uh, I, I was watching it to review it for something, and so I, I went to see Fired Up on opening night in a room full of uh, like barely pubescent junior high school students, which was one of the more was it, awkward. Was it a good crowd for Fired Up on opening night? That was exactly the target demo. It's a PG thirteen teen sex comedy, except for it's not teen because all the actors are in their thirties, and it's hmm. not sex because it's PG thirteen, and all you get are a couple of smooches. So it's a uh, it's a thirty something talking about sex comedy. Uh, though it's listed as the guy's first feature, and I think bottom line, there was some there was some fun writing. It was very clever. Uh, some of the jokes were sort of too smart for the room and really went by fast, and there was kind of a voice to it. But it was just, it was so formulaic and whatever originality had been in that screenplay, they took the big PG-13 cookie cutter. American Pie was an R, right? Yeah, of course, you see that girl's boobs. It's true. That's correct. You are correct, (laughs) sir. There's actually a Japanese film with uh, Shannon Elizabeth in it from 1935 where uh, her boobs are responsible for comforting large groups of Japanese soldiers during the Manchurian invasion. Uh, Yeah, those uh, freaking Manchurians. uh, Yeah, and our own Manchurian candidate – Peter Fenzel, favorite. I was wondering when you were going to get around to introducing me, Matt. Yes, well, I'm I know, here. I know what your I know what your pick is, but I want I wanted to save you for last. So, uh, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank your, you very much. What's your Oscar speech pick? Well, my favorite Oscar speech has got to be Mr. Anthony Dodd Mantle, who won for cinematography for Slumdog Millionaire with that ridiculous haircut. Because I believe, and this is a theme. This was for me the sub theme of the whole Oscars was in your speech. Make a promise that you cannot, under any circumstances, reasonably be able to control the veracity or outcome of. And I think what Anthony Dodd Mantle promised that for the rest of his life, he was going to be nice every day to all the people who worked for him. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> it was something to that effect. And I looked at it, I was like, this is not, this, this is like, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just unrealistic. I feel bad that you, you, you feel this moment of revelation. It's like a late season surprise. Soprano's moment where he's like, you know, maybe I don't have to be in the mafia. Maybe, you know, I can just hang out with this little puppy. It's like, no, you're in the mafia. You're going to have to deal with it. And it's like, yeah, someday you're going to have to be mean to the guy who brings you sandwiches. And then you're going to break your Oscar promise. And then you're going to have the curse of Oscar all over your shirt. And for the rest of your life, you'll be. Christian Bale is going to yell at you on the set for seven minutes. (laughs) And then you're going to yell back. And for the rest of your life, you'll be a hypocrite. Yeah, and the the guy who really took this to the next level was the screenwriter for Milk, who promised, who swore to the audience uh, on his own his own troth that there would be a federal act guaranteeing universal gay marriage soon. Uh, now, I understand what he's trying to get at, and I'm not. I, I, I personally think that it would be a wonderful thing if there was some sort of nationally standard, recognized. Uh, you know, marriage available equally to everybody and all that stuff. But regardless of your political leanings, isn't that awfully specific? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. If you're like, going like, to make a pre- – isn't there a movie about that? If you're going to make a prediction uh, – oh, it's Ghostbusters 2. Bill Murray says, you know, if you're going to predict the end of the world, predict it like five or six years out so that your book has time to come out in paperback. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean uh, like – 
the, 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 it's not going to be a federally mandated thing because marriage is largely governed by state law. So like, it's it's like what kind of promise can you I, you can give in a, you can sort of get people charged up, but like I, I shouldn't go on TV and be like I'm going to promise all of you today that yeah. child abuse in America is going to be ended by the actions of an international non-government organization that doesn't exist yet. It's going to raise a bunch of money, it's going to pass a bunch of laws, and enact an independent security force. It's like the more specific your promise... To protect, that you have to no- protect children everywhere. Exactly. I mean, I don't disagree with it, but the more specific... And this is not, this guy's a screenwriter. Like, what is he going to... He's going to go to Congress? Like, he's going to go... He's like, yeah, you know, Chris Dodd's a friend of mine. We go play golf sometimes. Like, no. That promise, that promise would have been out of line had Obama made it during a campaign. You know, exactly, let alone exactly. a screenwriter. He, he's not just a screenwriter. He's the best screenwriter of the year. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I apologize. Does somebody have like the exact words he said? Oh, let me play devil's advocate. Are you sure he was promising? You know, maybe he was just sort of like wishing out loud. Oh no! I mean, like, I, I, I remember it pretty specifically. Uh, let me let me get the um, let me get the Oscar speech up right now. He was like, "I promise you," or like, "I will not rest until." Or like I will continue to write movies about Harvey Milk until. Uh, here, if, if can we can we pipe a YouTube video through this podcast, Matt? Uh, I can send me the link. Give that a shot. Okay, uh, it, it's going to take way, me a second to so talk amongst yourselves. Was that, was that guy really young? Like that guy looked like like he wasn't old enough to drink to celebrate winning the Oscar. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. Um, he certainly is is old enough to write a screenplay. No, um, let me see who he is. I'm, I'm trying um, to uh, you know insert your own joke about uh, taking care of your skin and queer eye for the straight guy and so on, right? Uh, <laughs> I searched for milk in Wikipedia, and I had to go to the disambiguation page for milk because apparently there's something else called milk that's not the movie milk. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's I see. I promise it. you, Ooh, now one... that I've won this award, that will no longer be the case. Uh, the, in Dustin one... Black, who wrote it, was born in 1974, so he is 34 years. Oh wow! He's a, yeah, no, he he's was very babyface. And here is the yeah. babyface Dustin Black uh, giving his Oscar acceptance speech at the Academy Awards. Goes to Dustin Lance Black. Of milk. What do you think about the three names, by the way? <laughs> How's that level? That's pretty solid. By the way, I hate about this with random music for the movies instead of the theme music for that movie. Oh my god. This was um this was not an easy film to make. And first off, I have to thank Cleve Jones and Ann Cronenberg, and all the real-life people who shared their stories with me. And um, Gus Van Sant, Sean Penn, Emil Hirsch, Josh Brolin, James Franco, and our entire cast, my producers, Dan Jinks, and Bruce Cohen, everyone. He's well-prepared. For taking on the challenge of telling this life-saving story. <laughs> when I was 13 years old, my beautiful mother and my father moved me from a conservative Mormon home in San Antonio, Texas, to California, and I heard the story of Harvey Milk. And it gave me hope gave me the hope to live my life. It gave me the hope to one day I could live my life openly as who I am and that maybe even I could fall in love and one day get married. Gay marriage. We like marriage. Only Paul wanna, Newman got a bigger round of applause. I thank my mom, uh, who has always loved me for who I am, even when there was pressure not to. But most of all, if Harvey had not been taken from us 30 years ago, I think he'd want me to say 
to all of the gay and lesbian kids out there tonight who have been told that they are less than by their churches or by the government or by their families, that you are beautiful, wonderful creatures of value. And that no matter what anyone tells you, God does love you. And that very soon, I promise you, you will have equal rights federally across this great nation of ours. Okay, so there it is. Yeah, I mean, I understand the spirit of it. It's just, you know, you see what I'm saying. Let me ask you this. I haven't seen milk, so I don't mean to imply that milk isn't any good. But doesn't it feel like sort of atonement for sliding Brokeback Mountain? I think it's more atonement for Proposition 8 specifically. Like, people are really, right. really f***ed up about that. I mean, they should be. It's Hollywood they being bitter about Proposition 8, right? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. Do you think, it, well, I mean, I haven't seen either Milk or Brokeback Mountain. My understanding is, from most of the people I know who've seen Milk, that it is a deserving movie. That it is a, it is Oscar written all over it. Uh, that it's it is a good a, biopic. Good I mean, it's a, you know, yeah. it's in the category of prestige picture from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, and it, it pulls its weight. Whereas most of what I heard about Brokeback Mountain is like the premise says a certain novelty. There's a certain element of it that's kind of new and provocative, but it's just kind of not. It's not pulling that heavyweight class as much. It's it's a you know, cowboy movie, not Shepherd a movie. what? Shepherd movie. Oh, it's about shepherds. The she- yeah, they don't. There's no cows involved. Oh, fair enough. I've been misinformed. I thought there were cowboys in that movie. And it's, it's interesting because saying, saying that they're, they're gay cowboys sounds like really, you know, wow, they're so manly and yet they're gay. Whereas saying they're gay shepherds, you're like, well, of course they're gay. They're shepherds. Mm-mm. Well, I mean, it does raise. Does... I mean, there have been many heterosexual shepherds. In fact, the whole form, the whole, the whole literary Name form, ten. the whole Name literary, ten. the whole literary, <laughs> literary form of pastoral, you know, where uh, basically chasing skirt, you know, hey, out that, in the... who invented the literary term of pastoral? Who invented the literary yeah, term? Who invented it? The literary term or the literary form? The form. Who invented the pastoral form? <laughs> okay, okay, fine. The Greeks. Was it the ancient Greeks? Was it the Greeks? I think it was the Greeks. It was the ancient Greeks. <laughs> I think it was the Greeks. <laughs> Terrible. The Greeks, though, for what it's worth, the Greeks Have were. We not... arrived at a point in our culture where it's okay, where it's okay to make jokes about Greeks being giant sodomites. Like, that's just no, you know what? Yeah. Worse, no, they the were probably not at all. Recall that the people were shorter back then. You know, <laughs> that it's only more recently that people have gotten as tall as we are. Uh, so they were probably not giant sodomites. They were probably like uh, relatively medium-sized sodomites. <laughs> There's but nothing wrong. You know, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Because Greeks weren't, uh, they weren't homosexual in the sense that we think of homosexual as being kind of an exclusive category for a person who is exclusively attracted to members of the same sex, right? right. They were, they all had wives. All those guys sitting around in uh, Plato's Symposium, right? Uh, and uh, hitting on each other and drinking, they all had wives. And uh, they would go and have children with their wives, but um, but they prefer. Oh, Matt, Matt, just to be contrarian, like some of them must have been gay. Well, one in, <laughs> so one in like, ten. Ten percent of them well, must have really been gay. I'm, but these I'm, gender I- identity constructions uh, is what we're talking about. That they're not they're not a priori. They come about as the result of emergent cultural consensus and people figuring things out and making things work. Like I'm sure that right. pre-industrial uh, homosexuality is different from post-industrial homosexuality in a lot of ways. In much the same way pre-industrial and post-industrial heterosexuality 
sexuality are different. Right. Um, uh, post-industrial yeah, heterosexuality. Sort of like the way that, um, uh, you're familiar with the TV show Oz? Oh, good God, am I familiar with the TV show that, Oz, that yes. Almost all the men on that show have sex with other men, but only those two guys are actually gay. Yeah, but none of them enjoy it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> all hate. Schillinger, Schillinger definitely exists. <laughs> Hey, can I can I share a story with the um, the podcast? Said he discovered America, but really he didn't discover America. He was discovered by America. Think about it. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen Oz, you know don't even bother. No, Oz is a great show. Oz is a great show and has most of the actors you will see in any other HBO series or Law and Order series that filmed in the New Jersey area from like the late 90s through the aughts in it, including J.K. Simmons, who is awesome. Right. So Spider-Man's boss is like the most scary neo-Nazi you'll ever see. Yeah, if you have seen the Spider-Man movies and you haven't seen Oz and you love J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies and I find it hard to believe that you don't, you should see Oz and you should see that same actor play the leader of a neo-Nazi skinhead gang in prison that goes around raping people and murdering them. <laughs> he, was also, because, he was also Juno's he's not, dad. He's not gay. He's not gay. No. No, no he's no. still not gay. But that's, that's my point <laughs> is that I think the ancient Greeks are a lot like you know the residents of Oz. I, I also uh, the, the Greeks also yeah, most likely had intercrural sex, which means between the thighs. Like it, like That's they said, Abraham Lincoln used to have. Yeah. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ask. How the hell could you possibly do that? I I had uh I have a classics background. Well, like is that is that described <laughs> in great detail? <laughs> I'm saying again, Matt. He says, is it described in great detail? When you study the classics... What what the source for that piece of of explicit erotic knowledge is from 2,000 years ago? You know, my my high school Latin teacher was actually, by contemporary standards, a homosexual. And so he had... uh, He took uh, a great deal of care in explicating for us the sexual practices of antiquity. And if you've been to Pompeii, you get to see them all over the frescoes. It's true. It's a dirty, dirty town full of dirty people, which they don't tell you in your high school history textbooks. <laughs> lots, of, lots of soot. Lots of soot in Pompeii. That's true. Not dirty people anymore. Now it's mostly burned it's people. It's a filthy place, though. Yeah. Oh, hey, if we, had, if we had pics this week, mine would be the link that Pete just sent me, which is the Wikipedia page <laughs> for intercrural sex. <laughs> it has a picture of a dude having sex with a sphinx on it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> hey, that's at the Boston MFA. I should go see that vase with that dude having sex with a sphinx on and it. And the, um, the see also's are uh, see also non-penetrative sex, Greek love, oral sex, sex, and mammary intercourse. Which Gross. I am clicking on right now. Huh. huh. No, no. Oh, good God. Uh, N-S-F-W. Not safe. That Wikipedia page is not safe for work. Wow. We were all there together. We all surfed there at exactly the same time. Oh, good Lord. That is My new pick, if you Wikipedia search for memory intercourse, especially if you do it on a public computer at, like, say, a library or at your high school. If we, have any, if we have any high school students, I want every terminal in your school's library to be showing the Wikipedia memory page. Memory intercourse. 
poor memory for the, intercourse. For the record, for Which the is, record, of course, when you have when you have sex with a woolly mammoth. That's what it is. Right? <laughs> exactly. For the record, the picture that's provoked all of these uh, exasperated uh, uh, exclamations is appears to be computer generated cell shaded animation of some sort. <laughs> uh, that is not real people. That is like that is like from the director's cut of Waking Life or some shit. Yeah, but Waking Life uh, was real people. They just painted over them. Oh, fair enough. Fair Ooh, enough. I don't think they would do that. I'll point out that uh, that a larger version is uh, available if you click on the uh, if you click on the thumbnail of the picture. So speaking of spooging all over the place, how about those Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. There's a segue, and the award for best segue goes to. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Hugh Jackman really did a great job having um, mammary intercourse with the Oscars. Uh, no. Hugh Jackman yeah. is not a homosexual in the conventional sense that we define homosexuals. Yeah, I mean, gender identity and politics and people relating to each other, they, these things change over time over the centuries. But you know what doesn't change? A good, solid musical number. Because huh. you get a good musical number out there, you throw it together a little bit, you have a little song and dance, a little shoe shine, a little top hat and tails, everybody is going to eat that up. They're going to eat that up like it's ramen noodles on Thursday. Okay, so I'm going to say, like, that number, the second number with the top hat and tails and whatnot, was, I guess he but was with, wearing tails okay. the whole time. But, uh... I thought parts of that number were okay until the advent of uh, Zac Efron at Alia, but um, and the drumline. Aaliyah's dead, Matt. <laughs> That's not funny. Too right. soon. I, thought, I, I really just liked the second. I thought the, the first musical number was amazing. I thought the second musical number was terrible. I thought the first musical number was was clever, but don't you think there's something? A little unfortunate about kind of making light of the present economic crisis by doing a chintzy opening number. Well, uh, who, okay, yeah, I was I was talking about this with Jordan yesterday, and he he had a good point. Where I I was thinking like, is it insensitive for them to sort of pretend that they don't have the money to do a big opening number, but really they do, and it's clear that they do, and they're just sort of like laughing about people not having money when they themselves are like, you know, beneath every seat is probably like a $50,000 goodie bag. Um, but then Jordan pointed out that the alternative is not mentioning the recession in any way and just going on and doing the show the same as always. And that's, in a way, just as bad, if not worse. So, you know, beyond not doing the show at all, maybe they did the sort of most tactful thing. Isn't one really? of the arguments for the film industry at this moment that – People want escapism, and that sort of giving a grand Oscar number would be reassuring in a way. Well, I mean, and they did, but I mean, like, is, was there anything? I guess the question is: there was there anything wrong about, wrong about uh, having a nod towards the fact that, like, our country that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is exactly where it was in 1997? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't a nod. It was more than just a nod. Let me ask you this. How I, I, I much... think it was more of a nod. I mean, what? Are you saying because the, the visual <laughs> style of the whole thing was sort of minimal? Yeah, it, wasn't, it, was. <laughs> it wasn't just a nod. It was, I mean, it was the whole number. It was the whole thing. Well, let me ask yeah, you this. I, mean, I don't know. How much... <laughs> what? How much, how much of that Wolverine money do you think is gone? Like how much Hugh Jackman can't make Wolverine movies forever? How much of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine money do you think he lost in the stock market? 
well, he has a wife and kids and, like, probably has it in a college fund for them or something. Like, yeah, you know, and what a college to fund send them to, to send them to Professor Xavier's, you know, School for Gifted Mutants. No, Newtons. there's no way you can afford that nowadays. I'm going to say that's X2. Like, that's what's going to have all this endowment. They're going to have to, they're gonna have to <laughs> sell their jet beneath the basketball court to, like, recoup what they lost in, in that off scheme. I think Hollywood is hurting, but it's not the the income of the movies is hurting as much as the specific people who made the money, I think, right? I mean, I think Hugh Jackman probably lost about 40% of his net worth in the stock market crash. I'm going to say that right now. And the housing crash. And think of all that property in Australia that he set on fire. Oops, did I say too much? (laughs) When you you said, you know, how much of that Wolverine money do you think he lost, I actually thought you meant something different. I was reading an article today seriously positing – whether this has really hurt his image as like one of Hollywood's leading tough guy men of action. Oh, really? You know, that, that I mean, he he went out and he did the the straight up song and dancing, which is which is absolutely who he is. But you think about this Wolverine movie coming out this summer. I mean, he's completely like fucked up. He's I mean, it, it's a straight ball to the wall. You know, all the thirteen-year-old boys in America will be there in opening daytime movies. Balls to the wall, and penis he, like, between the legs of another man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So, I about, like, does does this make Hugh Jackman into a less bankable sort of like action hunk? I don't know. I saw the trailer for Wolverine, and there's this where correct me if I'm wrong. He like. Does he shoot himself out of a cannon at a helicopter or something like that? <laughs> or, like, jump, jumps a motorcycle off of... He through an air at a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, there's some sort of... I mean, it looks it looks not good. So I think that that, so, that shot in the trip ridiculous enough to have already destroyed uh, Wolverine's currency as a serial star. And already this movie is going to be camp. So I think that actually he did exactly the right thing at exactly the right time, because now I want to see it. (laughs) I don't know. Hugh Jackman has done worse. Hugh Jackman came to us birthed out of a Drury Lane production of Oklahoma. And, you know, then he (laughs) – that's where he comes from. When a a mom and dad fall in love with the Drury Lane production of Oklahoma and Hugh Jackman makes it, then he becomes a big star. And he did The Boy from Oz for all those years. I guess the the question – and not the same Oz. It's a different Oz. If you see The Boy from Oz (laughs) expecting to see J.K. Simmons rape Hugh Jackman, that is not going to happen. Um, (laughs) is about an Australian pianist who sings and dances. Um, I mean, I guess you have to ask. Of course, I don't. I don't suppose anyone remembers. um, Oh, what was that? The very, very short live TV series that he sort of like, you know, spent all of his Hollywood capital to get made, where he was like the singing and dancing casino proprietor. Right. I swear to God, this. I swear to God, this actually happened. It was like two years ago. There were like three episodes of it. Was he the producer of that thing? I mean, I think he was like the producer, the star, the, I mean, it was just him taking all his like, you know, X-Men, you know, cachet and just being like, what I really want to do is like, like bring a musical TV series. And flushing it down the toilet. Viva Laughlin. Yep. Viva Laughlin. Yeah. How many episodes were there? Do you have that information? Uh, Uh, Two. (laughs) They aired two of them and then they canceled it. Oh, that, but it had which, is more weird, was, which is like, it was either really bad or really, I mean, obviously a combination of bad and unpopular, but it's like, I mean, it's Hugh Jackman singing and dancing. There isn't more, just people being curious isn't going to bring it beyond two episodes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, the the IMDb, 
The IMDb keywords are television flop. Mm. Huh. Are, it, I was, really like to see it. Was America I, ready for Cop Rock? Well, you know, it's in retrospect, Cop Rock seems like a bad idea. <laughs> you never know these things ahead of time. I mean, you know, whatever. Maybe people love music. They love singing and dancing. They got You get the little Wayne in there, and everything's good. And in, in this case, they didn't have little Wayne, so they had Melanie Griffith in it. <laughs> so, Cop and, Rock, you know, eleven DB episodes. Who doesn't love DB Woodside? He was the president. Then he was. But it's, not that, it's not that musical TV shows don't work because obviously Hannah Montana is a wildly popular TV show. Yeah, but totally different audience. That adults don't want to see musical TV shows, but like kids love them to death. Well, that's apparently true. I mean, Sesame Street, musical TV show, done pretty well for a while now. Right. Mr. Rogers, musical TV show. Age. Would you turn like 16 or 17, like you no longer want music with your television? Yeah, <laughs> because it comes out of earbuds. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the people who want to see Wolverine Origins were watching the Oscars. The Oscars <laughs> wasn't really for them. Uh, it wasn't really yeah, speaking. It was X Men Origins Wolverine, right? Oh, X Men Origins Wolverine. Sorry, Wolverine Origins is different. That's a Japanese movie. Right. <laughs> because, because they're, they're trying to do the. the they're, trying, they're trying to do a Magneto one. It's about how the Wolverines were created out of Manchurians by evil Japanese scientists. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the uh, the X Men Origins Storm. You know, Halle Berry's next big prestige project. Has <laughs> every line like, you know what happens to the juggernaut struck by lightning? You know what happens to the blob struck by lightning? You know what happens to the Omega Red struck by lightning? Same thing as everything else. <laughs> I mean, th- that's even too like too accurate. To be like, you know what happens to like the Kansas City Chiefs when they're struck by lightning? <laughs> Same thing as everything else. You know what happens to a lightning rod struck by lightning? <laughs> it conducts the lightning away from vulnerable structures. You know what happens structures. to a time machine when it gets struck by lightning? <laughs> Can you create a mashup? Can you make a mashup of X-Men in 1776 so it looks like Halle Berry's fighting Ben Franklin? <laughs> I would enjoy that. Please, somebody make that. Make that movie. Make it happen. Let's let's call up. Let's call up that Slumdog Millionaire guy. He, he can get a couple of. Would you just call like X Men X Men Origins like seventeen seventy six? Yeah, X Men Origins Electricity. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> speaking speaking of making that movie happen, the Oscars was last night. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that was Kapow. supposed to be the topic of the show, wasn't it? Kapow. You know what I love about the Oscars? I Same love how thing long is everything it is. else. Same thing as everything else. <laughs> My joke formula for the Oscars was the the Hugh Jackman line. They don't just verb noun, they verb movies. Yes, so exactly. They don't just edit film, they edit movie or they don't just edit scenes, they edit movies. They don't just write scripts, they write yeah. movies. They don't just design scenery, they design movies. They don't do the sound mixing for movies. They do the sound mixing for movies. For movies. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't just have intercural sex with boys. They have intercural sex with movies. You know, you've got that on the brain, my friend. You've got Ever that on since the brain. Saw... There was a little bit of like, you know, like a, like a Zing and You film strip quality in the whole thing. It's like, you know, gee, Jimmy, I wonder how a movie is made. It's like, well... Let's take a look at the whole process. It starts with pre-production. And to give the award for pre-production, 
The night definitely had that arc. Uh, I mean, is that something that was good? I mean, did that make you like the Oscars more, or do you think it was like well, a sop like the to the... That, that, they, that they tried to sh- make them vaguely in chronological order of producing? Or no, that, I had heard I mean, that, that the Oscars were going to be narrativized. I had heard that as a rumor, that the Oscars were going to be more narrativized this year than they were previously. And I was disappointed in, in this, because they clearly narrativized it a little, but it wasn't worth the, the claim, I mean. It would be more of a narrative. Yeah, no, let's go on a magical journey to find Oscars lost gold. Yeah. Dakota Fanning is on stage the whole time, and she's like, you know, like, we need to find this, we need to find, like, the golden ticket I was really hoping for uh, for Hugh Jackman to come out and be like, if we give away less than one award every 20, 20 minutes, the theater's <laughs> going to explode. You know? <laughs> now let's do a montage. No! Yeah, exactly. You know what would be a really cool Oscar is if, like, while Hugh Jackman is giving the opening monologue, the lights suddenly go off and when they come back on, he's dead on the stage with a knife sticking out of his back. <laughs> was like, one, of the, one of the people here tonight is a murderer. We're going to find out who by the was end of this ceremony. Was, was it you, Matt, Jack yeah. Nicholson? Matt, <laughs> like, didn't you go break like that? Yellow. Didn't you pitch that story to the to the WWE as, like, a potential <laughs> wrestling story arc for them? You know what? It actually was a very similar. You have a very good memory. Not many people know this, but, but about uh, five or six years ago, I was actually in contention for a writing job at the WWE, and I actually went to their headquarters in Stanford to meet with like the head writers of uh, of Raw and SmackDown. Uh, and I did not get it because I don't know enough about wrestling. But I did write like a whole like twenty page sample script for like a multi show wrestling arc involving multiple characters and like all the matches and how they go down. And it basically involved uh, Hulk Hogan being framed for murder, and The Rock like basically becomes a private detective and goes rogue to like clear his name in time for like SummerSlam. And they did do a giant murder story arc shortly thereafter, of course, but uh, um, yeah, I know. But I'm sure you know it had nothing to do with yours. <laughs> Fair enough. It's well, we fun. Played... I was just, it, was, it was fun to go there and, and to have the worst uh, job interview of my life. So, and I got to, you know what? This is really cool. I got to be interviewed in the room where, like, they had a giant, like, a blackboard up, and it had, like, all the matches for WrestleMania, like, written and, like, who was going to win. And this was, like, six weeks before WrestleMania. So it was kind of, I didn't wow. do anything with that. I don't, I don't believe anyone actually takes money. On WrestleMania, do you think there's any bookie in the world who would accept, like, you know, <laughs> putting it all on Undertaker this year? <laughs> I don't know, but I know that the internet might bet on WrestleMania. Oh, not safe for work. Oh, not safe for work. Oh, How can it not be safe for work? Having interstitial, so interstitial. It's. I think it's some sort of choke slam. It's <laughs> mind-boggling that someone, someone out there was like, "Hey, you know what tag we need to attach to our porn site? Gambling on WrestleMania." That audience is ready for porn. <laughs> no, you know what? It worked. It's paid off. It's paid. And by the way, that brings us back to the Oscars, doesn't it? Right. You know? They don't just. Uh, they don't just bet on WrestleMania. They bet on movies. Yeah. So, so how did our how did our bets on movies go? Oh, how did our bets for movies go? Yeah, Pete, how uh, was your... Uh, I mean... 
Okay, I guess. So we, as you know, um, Mark Lee, Jordan Stokes, and myself, if you're a loyal podcast listener, and if you're not, you're less cool than the other people, but we'll still talk to you anyway and trade for your hostess cupcakes. Um, so Jordan Stokes, Mark Lee, and myself made predictions, and, and the idea was that we were, we were prophets or, or seers of some sort. We could see the future, but we could all see different timelines. So all our predictions did come true in alternate dimensions. Um, and Mark Lee's dimension was that he was going to bet every time on the one that came first in alphabet. And you know what? I tried to bet for the ones I thought was going to win, and I really didn't do much better than Mark did. I got about seven. <laughs> he got about five. Uh, I think Stokes did a little bit better because he liked Slumdog Millionaire a little bit better than the rest of us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we both got Heath Ledger. None of us picked Penelope Cruz. Um, you know, Stokes picked Slumdog for a bunch of stuff. I picked yeah, so Slumdog Millionaire won everything it was nominated for except for Adapted Screenplay. And Sound Edit. Was original? What? Wait. Did it, did it win adapted screenplay? I thought Milk was adapted no, or something. No, mi- Milk is not. A, milk, milk was, let me, I have it right here. No, Milk uh, is original, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. It won best adapted screenplay. The, the guy I was talking about before who was going to thank, be nice to everybody in the whole world was the screenwriter for, uh, for, for Slumdog Millionaire. So, no, I thought he was a cinematographer. Oh, that's right. You're right. He's a cinematographer. I was looking up the screenwriter as well. It was not as interesting. And he did have crazy hair. If you guys, if you guys listen to the podcast, like, can't visualize that guy's hair, which basically looks as if, like, he was at, like, a cartoon and he was in front of an amp that was very loud. And the amp, like, blew his hair back. And then, like, he stops and, like, looks towards the camera with this sort of shell shock look and his hair is, like, permanently blown I thought back. He had just, I thought he had just taken his barrettes out. Like he'd been wearing hair clips and he just took them out before. Can I say how sad I was that Stokes in my prediction for animated short Octopody didn't win? (laughs) 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 They showed a quick clip from that. It looked so cute. The little little octopus. Yeah, that was that was the upset because it was the Pixar short, right? Oh, really? Pixar Pixar doesn't always win. The Pixar was the Presto, the the bunny, uh, which also. Oh, whatever. I don't know. But yeah, but still, the fact that Pixar. Did something and was not instantly rewarded for it is pretty shocking. Well, you know, well, it's interesting. Um, the, the, I, I was reading about the shorts from a, a, a Onion AV Club. They had someone go watch them all. Apparently, the one animated short which was not a comedy is the one that won. So that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, Oscar Oscar loves the uh, angst. Yeah. Do you think that's sort of apologizing for Walsh and Bashir not getting anything? No, I just think that the people who went to vote for the animated shorts are typical Oscar voters and didn't want to pick the comedy. But it's interesting because Mr. Rather and I last year went to see the live-action shorts. and Yeah, was Jordan, the was there. Jordan was there, too. Right, I'm sorry, Jordan was there, too. It was four very serious films and then a film called The West Bank Story, which was a straight-up sort of like almost like a Zucker-esque farce. No, that was um, the year before, like right? Two rival falafel stands in the West Bank. The, Matt, that you know, was the Israeli one. That was, was the year before. Ago. Yeah, the one, the one, the the single comedy last year was uh, the King of Pickpockets. No, no, there were a couple of comedies last year. The Tango one was definitely oh, right, a comedy. Right, right. Oh, that was good. The Tango one was good. They were all basically yeah. better than the one that won last year. The Mozart of Pickpockets. The Mozart of Pickpockets. Which, uh, but that one had a, a bit, that had a little kid in it, and you never vote against a little kid because a little kid will always win. I guess so. Uh, only the one of you. Pickpockets was like a heartbreaker. It was like the John the Baptist for for Slumdog Millionaire. How so? Because it was about it was about like a little a little kid who's like living by his wits on the streets. 
guess. That's not really what Slumdog Millionaire is about. It though. also it also contained the line I speak of the film that is to come after me, whose uh, merest <laughs> yeah, celluloid I am not worthy to edit. Yeah, and then you know gets involved with this sort of dangerous woman, and it's her father ends up cutting off its head. Right. Exactly. Bring me the head of of the John the Baptist of short films, the Mozart of pickpockets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Stokes was the only one who chose Wally. Hey, uh, Pete, <laughs> did um, was Kung Fu Panda a protest a protest vote for you last week? Well, you know my story with Kung Fu Panda, Matt, and I'll repeat it on every podcast <laughs> until I get it in there. My sister bought Kung Fu Panda for everyone in our family, and our is family has sister, seven people. Is your sister a podcast listener? I hope that she is, and if she's not, she's just as awesome. Unlike the other people who aren't podcast listeners who are less awesome, she is just as Pete, awesome. Have you, just... have you seen, did you watch Kung Fu Panda then? I've watched it sit at the foot of my bed for the past two months. I need to watch it. I, I should watch it. I hear it's good. It's good. You should, you should actually watch it. You'd actually like it. I mean, it's, it's a children's film, but it's a very good children's film. So, and actually, Duncan often puts it a great, like, you wouldn't, and, and, you know, it'll be like 10 minutes into the movie, and you'll be like, wait. That's Dustin Hoffman that's been talking for the last 10 minutes. Well, now I won't. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Now, now, I'm ruined this. Seriously. Spoilers, jeez. Gosh. I don't think it's a spoiler that, that can you, <laughs> is everything about a movie a spoiler? It used to be just like at details about the ending. Is like the cast a spoiler? I think we were joking on that one. <laughs> no, but it's a good question. I know, but I'm you draw the line. But then, no, now, now, now I'm asking it as a serious question. Is that like, is any information about the movie whatsoever a spoiler? Well, here's something. Like, ha- have you guys been watching Dollhouse? I know Stokes has. Have the rest of you? No. There's yeah, I'm gonna wait till it's canceled and released on DVD. Yeah, <laughs> just so you can do mm-hmm. it all in a weekend. Yeah, there'll only be four episodes, so it'll be really easy to do. Yeah, but they'll, it, like Firefly, they'll they'll release the ones that they've made, so they'll release like seven episodes. I hate to yeah. say it. I mean, was Buffy better in its first episodes? Because I didn't watch Buffy back in that day. Because I feel like this could be an awesome premise. Uh, it just can't be about the sexy, sexy douche Right, because yeah, she's not a character. Just, it, it sounds like it's not a good premise. Like, like it's dramatically impossible. Because, no, it's like, got to be about the people. Is a, is a cipher, and it's got to be. Well, yeah, no. I'm, my point is that she can't be the main character. It's got to be about the people who don't have their memory wiped at every episode, and about uh, about their interactions instead of her. But you know what? I think that the arc that she's going to have in this first season is that she's going to get it. Uh, character, she's going to like start having more of those little flashes and start to get her memory back. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where they're going with it. So that that should make it a little bit more palatable. With her really being a different character every week, it's pretty pretty bad. When so Josh it's like Whedon... Quantum Leap? What? Is it like Quantum Leap? No, no. I mean, it's like okay, is so it's the exact guy? opposite of Quantum Leap, right? Quantum okay. Leap is uh his mind is the same in every episode, but at least to two other people, his body is different. Like, uh this is yeah, exactly. So in this one, uh, the body is the body is exactly the same in every episode, and uh, right. her personality and mind is different. So if you wanted to do like a feminist critique of uh, you know how uh, how identity is construed onto the the sex object of the female body, then yes, this is the best show that's ever been made. If you want to watch TV, eh. mm, now could they do an episode? Where uh, Dr. Becca from Quantum Leap leaps into Elijah Dusku's body, <laughs> and then 
has to like fix some sort of civil rights problem or like teach somebody how to roller skate. That would be a great crossover. And then the whole thing is in is in a little kid's mind and saying elsewhere as he stares into a snow globe. Yeah. Oh boy! By the way, Pete, I've been meaning to ask you this for a while. Why yes. is the main character of Quantum Leap named Samuel Beckett? Why is the main character of Quantum Leap named Samuel Beckett? Um, yeah, perhaps... that's not a coincidence, right? Somebody's being like pretentious and and trying to say something. Well, I mean, you mean because of the playwright? Yes, yeah. because yeah, of the yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't. I, when I think of him being Beckett, I think of it more as a, a sort of Thomas A. Beckett kind of Beckett, in that he's kind of a saintish kind of figure, saintly kind of figure. But um, I don't know. I mean, because he doesn't act like like uh, Samuel Beckett at all. Um, no, no, but, but you, you can't tell me that like they named him Samuel Beckett, and like no, it, it wasn't on purpose. Right. Are there any Are there any episodes where he's like, perhaps I will leap? State direction. He does not leap. <laughs> oh man! So <laughs> yeah, no, he he doesn't leap. That's existential. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that doesn't make it, it is somewhat existential, but I feel like the actual Samuel Beckett would have not enjoyed the TV show at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, like I just love TV. I thought of the best what? segue ever that's been on this podcast. Perhaps, guys, we should talk about the Oscars. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> they do not talk about the Oscars. So that would be an anti-segue, actually. <laughs> so, okay. So if you type Sam Beckett into Wikipedia, guess who you get? <laughs> Quantum Leap. Correct. So I have to ask you, do you think that the playwright Samuel Beckett, who is always conscious of metatext and always conscious of the meaning of every word that he says, maybe he based himself off of the character from Quantum Leap rather than the other way around? And if you're saying that's impossible because he was born in 1906. And you haven't watched the TV series. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it's possible. Now, Dr. Samuel Beckett could only time travel within his own lifetime. Um, and right, so he was born in 1953. Um, so actually, I did not after that, right? What? Beckett was alive in the 60s, wasn't he? He was. He, he, Samuel Beckett, the other Samuel Beckett, died in 1989. So he actually could have watched Quantum. 1989, really? Yeah, no, he lived to be 83. Weird. He, yeah, like for some reason, I think of him as like being um, being earlier. I don't. I don't think of him as like being around to like you know watch like um, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean Samuel Beckett, the other Samuel Beckett, died uh, just about seven months after the first episode of Quantum Leap. So there's a brief <laughs> shining moment in the world. Wow. This was like the. And this is also when the Berlin Wall came down. Coincidence. I don't think so. I like to believe that uh, that Sam Beckett, the playwright, just like saw the first episode of Quantum Leap and went on a hunger strike that eventually killed him. Now, do you, is this an example of one of my favorite phenomena, which is when TV writers remind us that they have bachelor's degrees in English? Like when somebody in, a, in like Buffy episode makes a character named Byron uh, hmm. or like, you know. When, or when or somebody... like the writers of Lost introduced any new character and named them after like a random philosopher. Exactly. Or when, or when exactly. Stephanie Meyer, author of Twilight, uh, makes a lot of references to Romeo and Juliet in book two of the Twilight trilogy uh, on account of oh, their star crossed lovers. She has a high school degree, but she has a general equivalent. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, we read Romeo and Juliet in eighth grade. 
girl went to junior high. Oh, um, you're, you're actually a Twilight fan, though, aren't you? I did. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was uh, good young adult literature. Let me ask you, does Robert Pattinson, I'm going back to the Oscars now, uh, does Robert Pattinson always sort of like look that sort of like smirky glare? Yeah, he's, he's just brooding, sort of like standing right? there with this sort of like, yeah, he broods. That's his sort of default state, even when he's like presenting at the Oscars. Oh, speaking of speaking of brooding glances, what did you think of Ben Stiller as Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> that was great. I thought it was thought, great too. That, that was pretty badass. And I'm I'm not a person who's generally a fan of Ben Stiller. You know, I mean, like a lot of the I actually saw the Heartbreak Kid because I wanted to see how he somehow managed to get together with the girl after hitting on her during his honeymoon with another girl. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say after hitting her. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. no that's all kid is the one where like, he like, marries a woman very impulsively and then like while he's on the honeymoon with her, he realizes that A, he hates her and B, there's like another girl at the resort that he really wants to marry. Right. And so I was like, how's he going to pull that one off? So I watched the whole movie to find out. How, and I'm how, not going to tell you because I want to. I want. I want you all to go through what I went through. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I, don't know, I. I really didn't care that much for the the Ben Stiller thing. I agree, it was very funny, but I really think that Joaquin Phoenix is like perhaps going through some kind of psychological collapse. And uh, you know, just because it's funny doesn't always mean it's okay to make fun. Well, do you? I mean, isn't the word on that that he's that it's just a joke, that it's a giant Spinal Tap-esque uh, joke well, on us. From who? Like, like, says who? The blogs. <laughs> oh, well, the blogs say it didn't The YouTubes. Right? Perez, the YouTubes. The, the interwebs. Well, but, but, I mean, but Ben Stiller is in a double bind, because, like, if it's all a put-on on Joaquin Phoenix's part, then Ben Stiller has been taken in, you know? And if it's not, then he's an asshole. So you're saying there was no there was no winning situation for Ben Stiller in going there. The only way to win the game is not to play. It's like global from a nuclear war. I thought that that was worth it, and I guess it, it wasn't nice to hurt Joaquin Phoenix's feelings. And perhaps he is a self-destructive heroin addict who's having going into a downward spiral of despair. But I mean, you know, I mean, like it has occurred to people like what happened to his brother, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. That didn't occur to so, me. I mean, I'm, I'm not worried. Like, about... Maybe we should be like a little more concerned. Like, geez, you know, you got a, some demons. I'm not worried about hurting his feelings. I'm worried about like taking gleeful pleasure in that kind of collapse. Oh, it's, this uh, is more it's of like an the un- South Park un- episode of Britney Spears. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's it's like that episode of uh, of uh, South Park that's like a parody of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, where everyone takes photos of Britney Spears until she dies. Right. Yeah. Right. right. I was going to say it's like because slavery makes you a bad person, not because that, and that's why it's bad, not because of what it does to slaves. Essentially, although I think that slavery is also bad because what it does to slaves. I don't know. Really? That's what you think. <laughs> that, that's what you think. I'm going to go on record over the Internet with that. <laughs> wow. That you, that, you, that you think slavery is bad. uh because uh, you know of what it does to slaves. Well, I'm I'm going to uh, go out on a limb here and say that I think uh, other people having cancer is not just a vehicle for me learning valuable life lessons. <laughs> what if you're in Plato's cancer cave? What else could it be, Matt? <laughs> what if you're in Plato's cancer cave? What if you're on? 
the no, we, sh- we shouldn't joke about those things. <laughs> you know what it, <laughs> so what, what do you guys think to, to, to shoehorn topicality back into this discussion of the uh, uh, the, the, the five-sum presenting of the acting awards? Was that the grunt of topicality? <laughs> yeah, that was shoving was it like, back. Oh, in. we got to talk about stuff that's topical. <laughs> I love how it was like the Kryptonian Tribunal every time there was an Oscar. Like you have Marlon Brando comes out with the other four people. They should have been all in darkness with pin spots, and it should have been like they should have been wearing all white. It would have been awesome. It's like we are the great council of the Mibari. Uh, rather, rather than just like hugging the person who eventually wins, they should have all had paddles and like subjected them to a gauntlet <laughs> of humiliation. Yeah, I what I said, what I said uh, to Stokes for the first time I saw it was, "Have you seen Todd Browning's Freaks?" Yeah. yeah. Oh man, they should have read the name of the winner, and then they all should have like filed out in solemnity while the winner come, comes up on stage. Like they should show them leaving, and they should play like ominous music, and then like they should they should be silent, and the winner has to figure out that they have to come up on stage and give a speech. What sort of great induction? What what sort of great induction scene in films can we uh, insist that they reenact? Oh, great! Like inductions, like initiation scenes. Yeah, and stuff exactly. Like that? Oh, right. God. I, think, I think it should be like, uh, like what, what, what's that ritual that you have to do when you're like a Klingon and you reach maturity? And it's literally just like electrocuted you. You have to like go down a gauntlet of electrocution. Does anyone remember this? Exactly? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a pain ceremony. I forget exactly what it's called, but it works. Yeah, it should be the hat. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one with the little sticks that make your ribs glow red and apparently hurt. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what they should do. The winners should come up on stage, and then the uh, and then the panel gathers around them and says, "You may choose death or pongo pongo." <laughs> <laughs> I think they should do the thing from Animal House. They should uh, they should not let them know who actually won the Oscar, and then break into their hotel at you know the Beverly Hills Hilton or whatever, and shoot them with fire extinguishers. <laughs> yeah. And they give them a secret name. It's like, <laughs> so like, you know, Kate Winslet from now on, your Oscar name will yeah, be it's... like, you know, Lufa. Yeah. By the way, guys, what we were talking about was the second Rite of Ascension ceremony, which is uh, 10 years after your first Rite of Ascension ceremony as a Klingon. Uh, and it's when you symbolically become a warrior. It's sort of like your confirmation after your baptism. Uh, and you, the, those things are called pain sticks, which is spelled P-A-I-N-S-T-I-K because it's from the future. <laughs> you're, you're serious. They're like they're not they're not pain sticks. They're they're the heavy metal band pain sticks. <laughs> what you do to make a band name? You take something cool, you know. You spell it all wrong, you know, like a big knife, like limousine. Did you ever see the internet? Did you ever see the internet graphic with all the heavy metal band names? That uh, you know, it's like yeah. there are four there are four major branches, and like one is like hell and Satan. Another one is imagery of like fire, you know, the elements. You know, another is, and then it's basically oh, a pick, pick pick one from column A, and one one is mythical creatures. It's like pick one from column A, one from column B. So it's like <laughs> dragon fire or dragon Satan or Satan fire. Like words yeah. with umlauts. Right, right. And, and they actually have uh, two subcategories of like umlauts, parentheses, awesome, and umlauts, parentheses, like pointless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, so is, this... is the, is the, um, a Motley Crew is the, 
Is the umlaut over the U or the E? In Motley Crue? Yeah. Uh, let's confirm this because I don't want to get it wrong. Fitting out. Say that again? In Motley Crue, was, uh, is the umlaut over the U or the E? Well, we wouldn't know this if we knew what an umlaut did linguistically, right? Well, an umlaut actually lengthens uh, a, ver- a, a, a vowel, right? And it would be useless in that case because the U-E is long by nature. Um, so, because that, that diphthong is going to be long, as most diphthongs are in English. So you don't need an umlaut over a diphthong. Like, you would well, never need not, an umlaut. There, no, there, there are no umlauts in English. Well, that's true, but you could, you could potentially use them in certain cases if you were... Well, you do use the, um, the Norse figure, which looks like an umlaut, right? But that's not an umlaut. Umlaut is German. Um... So Motley Crue has two umlauts, one over the O and one over the U, and they're pretty ridiculous. Motley Crue, the O in Motley, definitely shouldn't have an umlaut, I don't think. Motley. But it might not be an umlaut. No. It might be... Let's... Well, I mean, if, if it's an umlaut, then it should be pronounced Motley Crue, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, in German orthography, you can replace the umlaut by adding an E after the vowel. So that right. so that Schoenberg can be spelled S H O umlaut N Berg or S H O E N Berg or yeah, actually it should be S H O E N. That's how he spelled it. Uh, when they when they do the umlaut, it's German partisans trying to like re Germanify him. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Do, do, so do, it- <laughs> so the process of umlautification, the umlaut process uh, in English is when you see a word go from something like man to men, full to fill, goose to geese. If you've ever been curious why words like that change their nouns, the, the length of their the length of their vowels, it's in imitation of how in German you will add an umlaut to a word uh, to signify a shift in part of speech. Well, that's not – I mean that's uh, – like in the German strong verb system, a vowel goes from a front vowel to a back vowel to, uh, to signify it's going into the past. Like mm. take, take and took is right, the, right. you know. Uh, now, what's the, the other thing that you sometimes see umlauts in English when they just have a double letter and they just make it one with an, with an umlaut? That is only no. in the New Yorker that you see yeah. that. And nowhere else. Well, and that, that is to, to signify that the two vowels are not a diphthong or a combination. It's that you're supposed to pronounce both of them. Right, it's, exactly. It's and that actually, so, they're pronounced differently, as in the word cooperate. Oh, okay. and they do that in New Yorker, really? Yeah, they, I really, like wow. cooperate, for example. <laughs> they're pretentious asses. <laughs> do they write the asses like Fs? <laughs> Bullshit. Reading Thomas Hobbes is so fucking hard. <laughs> Reading Tom- Thomas Hobbes. I'm the, life, the, the life of man is solitary, poor, nafty, rooted, <laughs> and fort. It's like this is nonsense. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, you know uh, what I didn't like about, about the, the five people presenting the acting awards is that um, it, it makes the acting awards seem more important than all the other awards. True. They don't have like five screenwriters or five sound designers come out. All of that would be right, awesome. And I think it would be really cool if they had five screenwriters. Like if they had like Charlie Kaufman, a Diablo Cody, you know, like, like yeah, bring out yeah, the yeah. heavy hitters. Wow. And you're, about, like, like, you know, like, you're well like, on your way to a buddy comedy there. <laughs> when is Charlie Coffin at Diablo Cody solving mysteries? Or else a regional theater production of The Odd Couple. Seriously. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I, mean, I think, I think uh, Tina Fey and Steve Martin are both pretty good screenwriters, and, and when they got together, it was pretty cool. So maybe, maybe there is something to be 
to be random pairing of uh, accomplished screenwriters. Well, hold on. Mm. They were not, though. They weren't screenwriters first. Of course, neither was Diablo Cody, right? Ha <laughs> ha. She was a, a stripper <laughs> first. I mean, so just because she dances on a pole that don't make uh, her a hoe, no. Uh, Maxine puts her go-go. She was dances go-go. You're getting it all wrong. Oh, I thought it was. I thought there were many more, many more syllables and letters. No, it's because she dances. Was... It's in from she's, It's 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 from DC. It's go-go song. Just got your dad's go-go. That don't make her a hoe. No, Maxine. I can't even imagine. That. How would you we're do that? We're going to the disco. We're going How to the elope. I'm trying to think, like, Rathers had so many words in it. It's like, just because she dances on a pole, no, that don't make her a hoe, no, no. And it, it, it doesn't scan, pole, man. I thought pole was, was, like, pronounced without the final L sound, right? So, like, just because she dances uh, uh, on a pole, that don't make her a hoe. That's okay. not But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great I song. I heard, actually, and this may not be the podcast for it, but uh, John Hollander, who is a poet of, you know, some note and a literary critic of great note, uh, uh, gave an uh, explanation as to why rock and roll in rock and roll music the rhymes are so bad. And what is that explanation? The explanation is that uh, that the heritage of uh, of rock and roll is essentially from African American music, and in a lot of the dialects of the early singers uh, of blues and early rock and roll, final consonants were just dropped, were just mm. not articulated, and so. If the vowels are assonant, it more or less counts as a rhyme because it sounds like one when you drop the consonant. So that initial influence, like that real sort of basic element of the original musicality ha- continues to endure? Is why Coldplay sucks. Is, why, is there, what you're saying that the heart of rock and roll is still beating? I mean, if that's what you're saying, I guess I'll, I'll believe it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, have, I have a different heart explanation. Heart of rock still beating. Cleveland? Detroit, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is that uh, actually, rather than that that music coming out of that heritage that John Hollander identifies, I think that God gave rock and roll to us. <laughs> gave rock, rock and roll, roll to you? <laughs> oh, yeah, put it in the soul of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the strong anthropomorphic principle of rock? The strong anthropic <laughs> principle, where it's like if yeah, what, rock what exists, I, therefore God exists because. What did I, wait, what did I say? Oh, or, or is this more the ontological proof where rock music is so awesome, therefore God must exist to the, be sufficiently awesome? Yeah, the the anthropic principle is different from the anthropomorphic principle, which there, is that the we anthropomorphic love... principle is that is that like if you fold a towel to look like a like a cat, it'll be adorable. <laughs> the anthropomorphic <laughs> principle is what gives rise to Kung Fu Panda. Yes, exactly. The yeah, anthropic that is, that is, that, is that Wyclef, we, why, the reason that Wyclef exists is that <laughs> in a universe in which Wyclef did not exist, like we would not be listening to Wyclef. Right, we would and not be there. And therefore, to talk about Wyclef, it is necessary that Wyclef, that we live in a universe in which Wyclef exists. And that right? is enough just yeah. and, I'm happy uh, we live in that universe. And believe it or not, that is enough reason not to teach evolution in uh, Kansas. <laughs> Wyclef? Because of the eclectic? Because they're afraid of Wyclef's later work and the, the evolution that it went through? Well, when he no, was you know, Pete, rock. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of, of Wyclef, and I was with him all the way up through uh, Preacher's Son, where, where I kind of fell off. But uh, are you a fan but, of later Wyclef? Well, I mean, I'm amused as hell at the eclectic album and his song with The Rock and his song with Kenny Rogers and all that stuff. It um, doesn't matter. Got, he played a Spring Fling, did he not? 
Yeah, he played us uh, that show back in college. Jordan and I were there. Um, I was, back yeah, in, no, I was there too. I tried to yeah, crowd surf. Was standing around me because it was raining. But didn't he like bring like random people in from the crowd to like to freestyle? They weren't entirely random. They were like local Yale rappers who who rapped. right, right. Was, they were right. They weren't. Yeah. They were. Just, like, it was just like you, associate professor of math, come up with freestyle. <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like Adventures in Baby City where he's like nobody leaves here without freestyling. <laughs> yeah, no, that was cool because he did a whole set of like fifty style rock and roll or like a whole bunch of it, which was kind of ridiculous. He was like playing a guitar behind his head. Um, so it was a fun show. But yeah, no, that was a fun show. I mean, he did Hips Don't Lie, so he's still relevant. Uh, <laughs> he did the – isn't he in the uh, the Times Era change in? Does that bring us back to the to the issue change? <laughs> oh, the Hips Don't Lie? <laughs> the fancy kind of Greek sex? <laughs> uh, isn't he in that thing where he's covering a Bob Dylan song? Isn't it Times Era change or, or is that what it is? Is that Wyclef? I thought it was Will I Am in that. Is he is he in that? Uh, oh, is that who it is? It's Will I Am, right? I thought it was Will I Am, not Wyclef. Will I Am totally stole Wyclef's thunder. Well, he, that he been stole Wyclef his he stole his natty little hat. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, getting that? Yeah, yeah. Hey, we uh, oh, we lost Stokes. Well, let's get him back so we can wrap up. Yeah, he closes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I think that's it. We're gonna wrap up. Yeah. So I we're, mean, we're, yeah, we're so, glad. So we, should we give the Oscars like a letter grade? Or? Uh, if you want to, go for it. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was. Oh, I I really liked the opening number and. I didn't like anything else nearly as much, but like I think a lot of the speeches were pretty entertaining or at least you know different, and like there weren't too many of these like long laundry list type speeches. So I mean it was definitely an above average Oscars, but that doesn't necessarily say much. Um, you know maybe maybe it was better than an episode of Dollhouse. I uh, <laughs> I think that like I think that by sapping I think part of the the fun of the show is that it's like four and a half hours long and I think by really moving it along at that clip you sap a lot of the personality out of it and just make it this sort of uh, cavalcade of you know people in fancy clothes rather than I don't know rather than anything that has any kind of personality much as modern but you're, but you're Catholic what do you mean. <laughs> I don't know because you like so you like don't you like your your ritual to be like as sort of like drawn out and like ritualistic as possible. I'm also that would, well, be, uh, that would be before Vatican II, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, right, no I like I, my... aren't you a member of that like that like Mel Gibson ass sect that doesn't recognize Vatican II? Have you seen pictures of Mel Gibson recently? He has a beard that makes him look like Colonel Sanders. Is it possible that Joaquin Phoenix is making fun of Mel Gibson? I mean, not. <laughs> uh... I think Walking Phoenix is making fun of all of us. In a juicy top biopic. Did you go see that, right? In the what? what? Walking Phoenix plays Mel Gibson. No, like a Walking Phoenix Mel Gibson biopic of ZZ Top. Oh, oh God. Oh, yeah. No, who who else do you get? (laughs) I'm not finished giving my grade. My grade is a B minus because they did move it along at a a clip. And you know what? I'm going to call it a gentleman's B minus from me. Okay. Penzel or Stokes, you want to weigh in? Effort. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know what? I'm a real, I'm an English professor, so I'll just give it an A minus B plus without really thinking about it. <laughs> because, uh, uh, because the kid will probably call his parents and have him, you know, make trouble for the dean. Uh, which just like on the last page, just like writing your red pa- red pad, like nice use of time through Roman exclamation point. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a C. I think I, I liked Hugh Jackman a lot, but he was basically not on stage. I was pretty happy with what won all the awards, but I was just not that entertained. Yeah, right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It would have been at least a letter grade higher had Mickey Work won and thus been allowed to give a speech. Right. <laughs> I think like like would anyone have been hurt had they let him give the speech he was going to give anyway at the very end? Because Mickey Work is just come. Do it. That would be it, so. Right? That would be so demoralizing. Can I? Uh, can I tell a little? Can I close with a little anecdote from when I was an English teacher in high school? Sure. I was okay. a tenth grade English teacher, and a student turned in a paper. He was supposed to write a thousand word essay, which works out to about three pages. Uh, and to fill it out to three pages, he had triple spaced it and also put like three hard returns between each paragraph. So it worked out to be about a two hundred word essay in the space of the thing and i drew a big circle in each uh in each giant space in between paragraph and wrote the words this does not fool me in in between them (laughs) and handed it back wow was that kid mad that's pretty good And I did. I did what I can, and you do what you can. If you have anything to say to us, uh, give us a call at twenty eat log zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Hey, do us a favor. Would it kill you to go on the website and take the podcast survey? Uh, we're kind of stalled out at like thirty responses, and it would be really nice. I know there are many, many more people than that that subscribe to this. Uh, podcast as an RSS feed and many, many more who download it, uh, not from the RSS feed. So if, if a few of you could just uh, find it in your hearts to tell us a little demographic information about you, we would appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can reach us on the web at overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. It probably doesn't deserve.